If you were to Google the words security and freedom, what would pop up on your browser would be articles that tell of a raging debate about how far the government needs to go to ensure our security versus how that level of security infringes upon our freedom. In other words, it's this debate that there is an inverse relationship between security and freedom. What what do you mean? It means if we're going to have high security, then we got to have low freedom. You see, it's an inverse relationship. I want to suggest that in many realms of life and most significantly in the spiritual realm, that the exact opposite is the case, that rather than security and freedom having this inverse relationship, no, 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 they have a direct relationship. What do you mean? Well, that means when security goes up, freedom goes through the roof. I want you to think about it like this. When I go to um, South Sudan, we fly over, you know, of course, and it's about 16 hours in the air getting to Kenya, uh, to Nairobi. And, you know, those planes, y'all, I'm on these giant planes. They're huge. I'm, they don't they don't crash, you know, they're safe. And I'm over the ocean. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just walking around free to do what I want, watch a movie all, you know, all the way. When we get there to, to Kenya, you got to take a, a small plane into Vietnam, and that's a six-hour flight with several takeoffs and landings. And those of you who you know have been in those planes, quite frankly, I don't like them at all. And you know those planes don't those planes don't fly straight, do they? They fly like this. You're just constantly going, you know, around like this. And I'm I'm just like this the whole time, you know. Just you're nervous. You you don't feel free because you don't feel safe. You don't feel secure. Could you imagine going to Disney? world and taking your kids and as you walk into Disney World you're going into the gate and above the gate there's this big blinking sign it's like the one uh, that you see on the interstate you know that says 383 people have died this year don't be the next you know it's that kind of thing and above the sign at Disney World it says 222 kids have been lost don't let yours be the next and you you go I'm not going in I'm not going in if that's what happens here for the record There's never in the history of Disney World been a kid lost and not found. So please know that. It's the safest, it's probably the safest and most secure place on the planet, which is why when you go in, you experience a tremendous level of freedom in there because it's safe, it's secure. Security, I'm suggesting, actually enables freedom, unleashes freedom. And nowhere is it more true than in our salvation, in our redemption, in what God has done for us and our walk with him. It's the very thing that Paul addresses as he takes a breath almost and winds up this marathon of a sentence in Ephesians 1. If we miss this back in and what he says, I want to suggest that we actually live with this low-grade anxiety. That our Christian life is lived kind of, I may not make it. I'm going to be the one he drops. I'm the one that got out of his hand. I'm not, you just live with this anxiety. But if you, if we get it, I mean, if we understand and, and embrace, embody tr- 
what he says, then I want to suggest we actually have a confidence, an unshakable confidence that actually has us throwing up our arms as the roller coaster goes to the top and we go down. Why would anyone throw their arms up when you're plunging down? Why? Because you know you're not coming out. Because you know you're secure. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Ephesians chapter 1. It's a long sentence, 200 words. That's why we spent three messages in it. It begins in verse 3 and runs through verse 14. And because we want to stay in the context, I'm going to ask you to just follow along in your Bibles as we read the entirety of the sentence. Paul begins in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the kind intention which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Stop there for a moment. Bill mentioned last week we can see this whole sentence in three sections, the work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Spirit. So there's much more, certainly, but at its core, there is the work, verses 3 through 6, the work of the Father, We're chosen. The work of the Son, 7 through 10. We're redeemed. And now we're going to pick up verse 11 through 14, and we're going to see that by the work of the Spirit, we are secure. Look at verse 11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. I am going to give you three phrases that encapsulate that which Paul is trying to communicate to us here. You're not going to need to write these down because you'll remember them. And they'll rise right out of the text as we walk through it. Three phrases. Uh, Let's look first of all at verse 11 the very beginning of it, in him also we have obtained 
an inheritance. That is in the passive voice in the Greek. And therefore, some of you will note this. Maybe your translation has it this way. But in my margin in my New American Standard, I've actually got a different reading. And it says, or it's read, we were made a heritage. It's because of the Greek passive, they translate it, we were made a heritage. Now, it's two different ideas. Okay, let's keep these distinct. It's one thing to get an inheritance. It's another thing to be made a heritage. You see, when, when you, an inheritance is something, you, you, you get the inheritance. But if we were made a heritage, that means we are, how do I say this? We are actually the gift, the treasure of someone else. And quite frankly, we can read this in the passage, they're both true. I mean, look down at verse 14. Look at verse 14 in your Bibles. He says, the Holy Spirit of promise who's given as a pledge of our inheritance. Men and women, we do have an inheritance with Christ. All that Paul says we are in Christ, you understand, I'll talk about this in a moment. It's, it's ours fully, completely, but there's more. There's a fullness to it to come. We have a, that is our inheritance. But look over in verse 18 of chapter 1. Notice what Paul says as he prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of whose inheritance? Whose inheritance? His inheritance. His inheritance in who? In the saints. So you see, they're, they're, they're both true. And the, the question for us is, which is he talking about here in verse 11? I want you to know, you know, they're, they're both true, but I lean toward seeing verse 11 as the Greek passive puts it with the emphasis more upon what, what God has done. That, that word uh, where a heritage literally means he, he, he picked us. He specifically chose us. He appointed us for himself. That's, that's the idea that I think he is saying here in verse 11. It's not a new idea. Deuteronomy 4.20. All through the Old Testament, okay, this is repeated. It says, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession. His, you see. Now you think about this. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Exactly. One, one yes in the whole room. See, out of the mouth of babes. Thank you. And God owns the hills. Well, wait a minute. He actually owns the country, the hills. Wait a minute. No, no. He owns the continent. The well, of course. He owns it all. And he owns the stars. He owns that. So he owns all of it. And yet he says, you redeemed humanity are my possession." Man, it's just the weight of the value that his redeemed are to him, you see. I've still got the bill for the birth of uh, our son, Darden. It says that my son cost me $4,646.78. Some of you are going, that was a deal. Well, that was 18 years ago. Um, but if you were asking me, what's he worth? There's no, there's no monetary number. And 
So if we are God's inheritance, we've been made his inheritance. You understand, he's, he's saying, do you know what you're worth to me? Do you know your value to me? Every piece of money in the world wouldn't touch it. Worth my son that I gave, you see. And so the first phrase I want you to grab hold of, it's very simple. Again, that's why I say you don't have to write these down. You get them. First thing Paul says is, I am his. I am his. I want you to repeat that after me. I am his. Now I want you to repeat it like you're starting maybe to believe it and hold on to it. I am his. I am his. That's a fact. It's not an opinion. It's like gravity. I don't feel like I'm his. You are. It's true. (laughs) It was determined in eternity past. It'll be realized in eternity future. And there is no chance, get it this way, it was determined in eternity past, it's fully fulfilled in eternity future, and there is no chance that between now and then, in this place we call life and history, that God's going to lose his inheritance. He's not. You're his. It's a second phrase, it's out of verses 13 and 14. It says, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. This word sealed, it is a wonderful word. And quite frankly, there are probably seven ideas that are carried in it. And we could look at all seven, but I'm going to try and take the seven and get to the irreducible minimum. I'm going to give you two because they all kind of have their roots in these two ideas. Security and possession. That's what the, the sealed by the Spirit. You remember uh, when Jesus was placed in the tomb in Matthew's account, it reads this, and they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, okay, we got a guard there, so that's secure. Along with the guard, they set a seal. On the tomb, the seal, think of it like, you know, when you drip wax on an envelope and the king puts his seal. This is what we're talking about, the image. It's that seal. So he put some clay or something on that rock and they put the imperial Roman seal on it. And you're going, well, this, a seal can be, you know, if it's clay, it can be cracked. It's not, it's not the literal clay that seals it. It's the authority of the Roman Empire that seals it. That says, don't break this seal. They weren't afraid of the dead guy coming out, right? They didn't want the live guys going in and taking the dead guy out. And if anyone broke that seal, you're dead. I don't know that there is a a more powerful or authoritative way to make something secure. The seal also carries the idea of ownership, Romans 8, 9. Paul writes, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And in women, what Paul is saying is that if you're a Christian, if you've placed your faith in life, death, and resurrection of Christ, you believe and trust him for your salvation, you, you, you have the Holy Spirit. 
And you're his because you have the Holy Spirit. He possesses you. He goes on to say that the Spirit is given as a pledge. Let's grab the first part of verse 14. We're sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Um, the word pledge is what exactly what you think it is. Whatever comes to your mind, I, I clarify a little for, you know, for the adults in the room. Certainly it, think of it as earnest money. That's exactly what it is. It's a picture they had in that day. Give a pledge. You're, you're going to take a small, you know, you're going to buy a home. You're going you're gonna to give a small portion of the, what you owe for the home that you're going to buy. You're going to give a small portion down, okay, the earnest money. And the earnest money says, I'm going to bring all the money to the closing. It's coming, but it's a, it's a guaranteed promise. The Holy Spirit who lives in us is a pledge from God that everything Paul has described that is ours in Christ. You see, there's a, it is ours in Christ, but men and women, there's a sense to which the fullness of it is yet to come. And the Spirit who lives in us is God's pledge, His earnest money, that the fullness will fully come. Guaranteed. Now, people sometimes break their promise. So with the earnest money idea, you kind of go, well, you know, Lloyd, sometimes people put the earnest money down and they don't come to closing. So, so you've got to answer this question. How faithful is God to His promise? I mean, that's the, there's the nut of the deal. How faithful is God to his promise? And I can tell you this, it's not 99.9999999999. It's 100. Period. He keeps his promise. Always and forever. You might wonder, I don't know, I kind of, this thought hits me, I go, well, gosh, how do I know that I'm sealed? How do I know I have the pledge? You know, and, you know, I, I kind of go, I thought, man, maybe if I had a tattoo, I'm in, you know, it'd be nice. And let me tell you something, you're not going to get a tattoo. How do you know that you've been sealed? Well, let me ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? who died on the cross for your sins, was buried and raised again. Do you believe that? If you do, you're sealed. You have the pledge because you couldn't believe that if the Spirit didn't live in you. You don't need a tattoo. You don't need a mark. You have the Holy Spirit. Or you, you couldn't even believe that. You couldn't confess it. Well, if the first phrase is, I am his, you know what the second one is. He is mine. Say that one with me. He is mine. Now say it like, you know, you know that you know God always keeps his promise. He'll never break his promise. And he said he's, so he is mine. He is mine. He is mine. I am his. He is mine. Well, the last phrase we pick up in the very last part of verse 14 who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. I want you to notice how verse 10 begins. Paul writes, with a view 
to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. When Paul says, with a view, please understand, you know, he's talked here in this passage about eternity past. He's talked about the present. But when he says, with a view, look, he's, when he goes, with a view, he's talking about future. With a view, he's looking at eternity future. We read this, he says, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. He's talking about that which is in the future. And you go, well, wait, wait, I, I thought our redemption is now. I thought, you know, Bill taught it, and, and it ab- absolutely so, that when we believe, we are redeemed, bought back, set free from sin, you see. So that, that is true. Hmm. Then what's the future, this future redemption of God's own possession? What is that? Well, this is so, so important, gang. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go slowly through this, but, and I'm going to move on the stage in ways I hope you see these different parts of redemption. We need to remember that redemption, you know, is, 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 is one thing, but there are three parts to redemption. In redemption, we are, we are, you know, set free from bondage. We are redeemed, bought back. Understand that. When you place your faith in Christ, you are redeemed. You are set free from the penalty of sin. Sin deserves death eternal separation from God, you see. You are set free from that. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, death, when we physically die, you understand if you're in Christ, that's just the step over to the new beginning forever. It's not the end. We will never pay the penalty for sin. There's no condemnation if you're in Christ. Set free from the penalty of of sin. Redemption also means that we have been set free from the power of sin. We've set, been set free from the, the power of sin. Romans 6, 6, Paul writes, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You understand that before you place your faith in Christ, you are a slave to sin. When you place your faith in Christ, the yoke is broken. Lord, what do you mean? You don't have to sin. Now, we're going to get into this in Ephesians because some questions arise. Well, why do I still sin? Well, we're going to talk about that as we move through Ephesians. The point I want you to understand is that when you place your faith in Christ, redemption means the power of the, the, the bondage, the slavery to sin is broken. You don't have to. Set free from the penalty of sin, set free from the, the, the power of sin, and redemption also means that in Christ, we will one day be set free from the presence of sin. That's not now, men and women. That's with a view toward our full and final redemption. When as John writes in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Whether it's when Christ returns or you physically die and you're in his presence. 
You are free from the presence of sin. It's gone. We're, we see him just as he is. He had no sin nature and neither will we when we see him face to face. No death, no mourning, no crying. Revelation 20. Now I want you to understand when Paul says with a view toward the certainty of that happening in the future is as certain as what God determined in eternity past when he chose from before the foundation of the world. Do you understand this? this is, that's just as certain and sure. Such that Paul oftentimes, what he does in Romans, he talks about us that we've been, he says, we've been glorified. And you sit here and go, I haven't been glorified yet. There's no way if this is glor-. Well, no, you, 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 you haven't been in time But it's so true and it's so certain, Paul speaks of it as if it already happened, glorified. So that's our full and final redemption. If the first phrase is, I am his, and the second is, he is mine, then the third is this, and all ends well. And all ends well. I've got a scene from a movie I want to show you. I'm going to have to ask you to give me a break on maybe the movie if some of you don't like it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> I know it's not some of yours, maybe. Um, let's not overanalyze it. You know, it's just one little section of this movie I want, I want to show you. Um, because I want us to, to, to move beyond just the kind of thinking about these things. I want us to, 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 to maybe engage our hearts in a way that this can help us do. To help us understand what Paul's talking about here, all ends well. It's true. The movie's Polar Express. And um, you know this movie. They're on their way to the North Pole. The train's got delays and all this stuff. Well, they got this one scene, you know, where the, the cotter pin falls out of the brake handle. And they're going 90 miles an hour towards Glacier Gulch, the steepest incline in the world, you know, and you know, and then they go down. And the train hits a frozen lake. There, the tracks are underneath, so it's just, it's out on the frozen. And you're thinking, how are they going to, uh, what's going to, let's watch this together. Every time I watch that, they make it. <laughs> Every time. You go, well, Lloyd, it's a movie, it's animation, it's make-believe. I go, yeah, they make it every time. Why do they make it every time? Because that's the way the story was written. This is not animation. This is the story of the universe and the world. And the God who determined to redeem a people for himself. No one, not one person who is in Christ doesn't make it. You're not the exception. All ends well for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
how in the world does a train go out on an icy lake, stop, turn, get traction, build? I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? You and I find ourselves oftentimes in life in situations that feel a lot like that. And you find yourself in a place where you're going, I don't know the way out. It's, it's over. We're done. The ice is coming. It's, you know, you haven't. I don't know how God does it, but we do know that he says he does, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And his will cannot be thwarted. All ends well if you are in Christ. Let's stand together and I'll dismiss you with a quote I I read from Brian Chappelle. He is a president of Covenant Seminary. Great uh, commentary on Ephesians and other books. But he, he said this and I thought this is wonderful. I'd love to share this with you. He wrote, quote, What you face is not without purpose and what you most cherish is not in jeopardy. That's true. Repeat these phrases after me one last time. I am his. He is mine. And all ends well. God bless.